You're listening to Speaking of Racism, the podcast dedicated to frank, honest, and respectful discussions about race and racism in the U.S. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Pull up a chair and let's talk. Special thanks to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know featuring Jay Lang. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. If you are new to the podcast and this is the first episode that you're listening to, I need to let you know that this is part two in a two-part discussion that I had with Tina Strawn of Satya Yoga Trips. So it would be worth going back to the one right before this, I believe it's episode 24, and giving that a listen before diving into this. But if you've already listened to that episode, you can listen in to this one where Tina and I start to talk about the nuance in anti-racism work. Is there something that you've really gathered or learned in this process? Has there been a moment for you where you felt this is so worth it? I love listening to you talk about protecting yourself and your energy and not taking on the weight of and the responsibility of other people, because I feel like that could be really, really difficult at times. But I have these Mm -hmm. moments in this work where there is this connection and somebody gets something. I received a phone call from somebody one time who said, I listened to this one podcast and it completely changed my perspective on this topic. And I was just like, oh, and it's moments like that for me where I feel like every day, every hour, every moment of work I put into this is worth those experiences. And I'm just curious, can you you recall times where you felt that? Without a doubt. And that's where the joy in this work comes in. It may seem that this work is, it is incredibly hard. Let me say that it, this work is um, depressing and it can be, it can feel defeating and it can definitely, and it does have its dark and gloomy moments. uh, And there are, there's a lot of frustration and there's a lot of pain um, and confusion. And absolutely when we are committed to fighting injustice and when we are committed to putting ourselves and risking intersecting and, and, and disrupting what happens when people are not free and when when we are committed to this this work of liberation and when we understand that until all of us are free no one is yes. free there's a joy that comes in the lights come on and there's a joy when we have people right, right? when people something clicks and when they're able to express and share with us the moment that they were able to say something differently to their racist grandmother when she started, you know, rattling off about whatever racist thing of the day is, Mm -hmm. right? So absolutely, there are moments like that. And it happens quite often. And I really connect it back to what I have experienced as a fitness professional for all of these years. It is very similar to when people 
are able to see the change in their lives, when they're able to see that they lost the weight, they fit into the clothes, they got the the healthy report card from the doctor, right? It's the same in this work in that when someone, you know, says to me that that they have, have been able to see something from another perspective that they had never thought of before, they had never considered, they didn't know, or, or maybe perhaps I, I shared something with them that they were able to really connect with in a way that, and, and whatever it was, it was what they needed at the time. And I think that those moments are happening much more than you and I will ever know, much more than any of us that are doing this work will mm-hmm. ever know. So I definitely experience it after each trip, you know, when, when, when people communicate with me what they do, but I also experience it even just in when I'm using my voice, whether it's online or whether again, going into the spaces where I teach. And I have people that will come to me and say, thank you for what you said. I've never thought of it that way. Or, you know, you mentioned that author and that book and I I picked it up and I've started to read it and it's really made a difference and made an impact Mm. for me. So, so that, you know, I have a couple of uh, thank you letters that I keep here in my office. So from time to time, you know, I read them because sometimes we aren't always given the feedback of how it changes somebody, Right? right? I think about... One example, and this isn't related to the trip necessarily, but I had posted something on my Facebook page. I'll share the story. I was having a hard time finding the Newsweek magazine with Brian Stevenson on the cover that said, yes, America is racist. Now what? That was the month. The month that came out was the month of my first Satya Yoga trip. So I was so excited because I'm like, this is absolutely perfect. As just the, the very month that I'm starting these trips, Brian Stevenson's on the cover of Newsweek talking about America being racist. And I just was looking and I was looking all over the town for this magazine, grocery stores and bookstores, even airports. I was in a couple different airports. I could not find this issue of the magazine. Mm-hmm. So I was on my, my Facebook page and I was expressing frustration. A white woman comes on my page and she says, and, and we were Facebook friends, and she said something along the lines of maybe I should try gratitude instead of being so frustrated. And, and she just was, you know, talking down to me and, and, and tone policing how I was expressing myself at my frustration. Mm-hmm. Long story short, of course, you can maybe imagine that I had some words. She like exchanged some words on that page. But what I did is I said, I'm going to give you this as a resource. You should take a look at this. And I posted Layla Saad's Me and White Supremacy Workbook. Just dropped it right in the comments. And I just kept moving. I don't remember when, maybe the next day. She private messages me. And she said, Tina, I just want you to know, I am sorry for the way that I reacted and what I said to you on the post. I just started to read through the Mean White Supremacy Workbook, and I realized that what I did to you was tone policing. And she quoted me part of whatever day tone policing was. And she quoted and said, I didn't know that that's what I was doing. And I'd never thought of it that way. And I, I, I hadn't considered that before. So I really appreciate you pointing it out and sending me this resource. Um, this has been hard for me because I consider myself to be a nice, a good right, person. Right. And I never want anyone to feel like I'm talking down to them. And I certainly think very highly of you. And yet I didn't realize that in the way that I was communicating you was harmful and violent mm-hmm. to you. But now I understand. And we were able to share that moment and kind of go back and forth. And it was emotional for me and very gratifying because 
because that I think is at the core of what we are trying to do with these conversations is help people identify the ways in which they're doing harm. And yes, we know that you didn't mean to, and we know that that wasn't your intention, but for them to recognize that the impact is what's important, not the intention. Mm. And we're not going to center what you meant and why didn't you understand that's at, of course, that's not what I meant. I meant it this way and you just took it the wrong way. Let's not center that. Let's not focus there. Let's focus back on the impact and how that came across. And let's also talk about what's your you know, how do you plan to move forward? Is this, is it important enough to you to interact with people in a way that is respectful and loving and not harmful? And I do believe, Jen, that there are people that do want to do that want to do less. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's not everybody. And I, I, I think we're going to see more people who are willing to do this type of, of soul work. It's still not enough right now. I, I think it's still in small numbers as we can see every day as we go onto the pages and the, the profiles of so many black and indigenous women of color in particular and the comments and the way that people are lashing out and, and the way that white people are continuing to be violent and harmful from this place of spiritual bypassing or gaslighting or sense or fragility, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Oh, but yeah. those of us who are committed to doing it, we are able to take away those small changes and recognize that as people continue to do this work, more change is going to follow. And that's why I'm able to do what I'm that's doing. That's amazing. And it's interesting because I did when we were talking earlier, The I wrote down spiritual bypassing. And I wasn't sure if we'd get an opportunity to talk about that. But just a little point here. I because I encountered this just the other day as well. I almost, I feel like some people who are on that spectrum of allies where they have some amount of awareness and they feel like they are anti-racist, but they haven't really started to do the internal work. A lot of times these are the people Mm -hmm. that can cause the most harm. And it's unfortunate, right? Because you know, they don't want to. They think that they're doing good in a sense, but those are often the people who jump in and they start to tone police and they shame and they spiritual Mm -hmm. bypass, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it's interesting because I feel like if we can take those people and we can deal with those people and, and, you know, I'm not sure I'm saying we meaning all people in anti-racism, but something that I think about just observing the way people communicate especially online, if we can get those people and help them understand that, like with what you did, and and they're open enough that they can learn like, oh, wow, I was centering my feelings or my pride was involved in this or I thought I knew better. You know, uh, that could be a really powerful thing. How do you feel about the way we dialogue with one another online in particular in these situations? Is there something you wish or you would like to see for those people who are listening who might engage online? Is there something you'd like to see in the way that we approach one another The tools that I use are all of the resources. I consider myself a student of anti-racism. So I spend hours every week looking, learning, listening, watching, reading, researching, studying, right? Because there's just this infinite amount of information. And I really would, I wish that I could absorb all of it. I don't know that I'll ever be able to finish all of it, right? There's just so much. And it seems like every week I'm learning of a new book that's out and this new author just came out and this new conference is coming, right? (laughs) So for me, 
I have stopped doing a lot of the interaction online and the back and forth. I, I'm, I feel as though it just becomes harmful to no end. Mm. There's not a lot of good out of it and it's just not serving anyone. We just find ourselves more frustrated when the reality is we find ourselves having so much confrontation and so much friction and resistance towards one another because someone's not open and because someone's intention is not clarity. Someone's intention is not understanding. There is this um, desire and this, this need, especially online, for us to try to convince or persuade mm-hmm. someone of, of one way or the other. A part of the Anti-Racism Yoga Weekend is a 48-page um, workbook that we go through where I have examples of some online conversations that have gone well and that have gone not well. Because again, I am that person who is screenshotting everything, right? right? Um, because what I know is that when we start having these conversations, someone's going to get pissed. And then all of that conversation, that dialogue that we've been having for the past several hours is going to get erased as if it never happened. And there's nothing worse than that, really. You know, Um, you know, people just don't come into our these spaces knowing that there is an etiquette and there is a way to behave. And that when people are investing in this emotional labor of providing education and resources, so for someone to then just erase all of it is so incredibly damaging. Um, It's beyond frustrating, of course, but just you've unraveled this incredible learning opportunity, which is what we're here for. But the reality is when you see people dirty leading, they weren't here for the education. Mm. They weren't here to grow. They weren't here to learn. And they weren't here because they were open. They wanted to argue, right. right? So all of that to say, I'm going to absolutely own that I am not super polite necessarily mm-hmm. when I make my, when I respond. I respond the way that right. I feel, but I'm careful in that I am very aware of how much energy I'm willing to give to this conversation because I've experienced what it feels like to spend hours going back and forth arguing with somebody only for that to leave us nowhere. That person didn't learn anything. I didn't learn anything. Now we're just both pissed. And hopefully the thread hasn't been deleted, right? I think we have to recognize that the truth is people want to be having these conversations, but that doesn't mean that they're open to learning and they're not open to changing. And that's something that we all, especially in this anti-racism and activism that we're doing, we have to all check ourselves um, as far as am I open and willing to learn? Am I willing to come and be vulnerable and recognize. And I really love with what um, El Glenise Pike um, from Where Change yes. Started. I actually um, found her through your uh-huh. podcast and I, I'm i just like absorbing everything mm-hmm. that she writes um, where clarity is the goal. So if I'm coming into these conversations about race with any other agenda, I've got to check mm-hmm. myself. Am I willing to come and recognize that I'm seeking clarity. It's awesome if I get to a place of understanding. It's awesome if this other person comes to a place where we're able to see where our beliefs and our values align. That may or may not happen, but what I know I'm damn sure not going to do is emotionally invest in a place, person, situation, conversation that had no possibility or potential for growth anyway, because we weren't open. And some days, I'll be honest, some days I don't even get online because I know I'm not in an open space right now. (laughs) I just... 
You yeah. know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I know I, I am in, and, and we have to just be aware that that's where that self-awareness mm-hmm. comes in, as well as when we respond to someone's comment. Absolutely. Is there a need for those of us who are in this work and committed to um, making change and disrupting the white supremacy and the racism? Yes, mm-hmm. we do. But we also need to make sure that we are careful with our energy and with what we are putting out in terms of every comment doesn't need our or require our response. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people just want to say what they want to say. They just want to argue and they don't want to do any work. Well, let me then, yeah. since we're going here, a question that I have for you is, so one of the things that I see that doesn't really jive with me is when white people take on almost this mentality, like, oh, I'm too exhausted to take these conversations on. And so I'm just not going to take them on. And I feel like it's our responsibility on some level to do some of this uglier, heavy lifting in terms of taking on these communications. What do you think about that? I am of the camp of white people, go get right. your white people. Yeah. That, that's, that's absolutely where I am. Um, and not to say that I'm not going to respond to white people that, that I see on pages mm-hmm. and posts, right? I will to a point, but there absolutely needs to be a, a higher level of accountability mm-hmm. with white allies to go and address and challenge and respond yes. And do that emotional work and that labor with other And this white is people. what I think. I think a lot of what you're saying is so wise for all people. I have my things I'm focusing on. I do the podcast. I do these mm-hmm. other things. I host dinner parties. And I do a lot of conversing. So I have to determine, like you said earlier, is this person just a troll who's here to suck up energy and time and nothing is going to be learned? You know, or mm-hmm. is this a mm-hmm. possibility where if I respond, it could be a model in a sense to people who are reading along and going, oh, yeah, okay. And, and they learn something and they silently take it away. And so one of the things that I see sometimes with white allies is, uh, you know, also this idea that they don't, they don't really have to engage these conversations. And I'm kind of like, if you don't do the engaging, who's going to do the engaging then? Exactly. Black people cannot be expected to do all of the heavy lifting and to go on and be a part of all of the conversations and set everybody straight. Now, you know, I want to be careful to say that we absolutely can speak for ourselves. So that's important to say. And I I will, uh, and and I don't hesitate Mm -hmm. to do that. But I also want to acknowledge that what I know is happening is white people are sitting back and watching the conversations, watching some violent white person come onto the page and and say whatever and all of this and choosing to not get involved in the conversation. And if they're not getting on the conversation, have getting in on the conversation on my pages, they're not doing it on anybody's mm-hmm. pages um, of all pages to do it. Please do it on the pages where I am initiating and hopefully creating a space where we are having these types of, of conversations. I'm honestly shocked that more people haven't unfollowed me. And and what I'm finding is that people are starting to be drawn to mm-hmm. me more, even though they're still silent. So I, I get so many private messages from people that never react, like, right? comment, <laughs> anything. And so I'm surprised they're even yeah. there. But yet they will come on into my private message and they'll give me an earful about what they thought about what just was what just happened on my page. And I'm Interesting. like, <laughs> well, feel free to hop on at any time and share that because what you 
have to say is important. And why wouldn't you get involved in the conversation when you're kind of in the conversation, but you don't really want to be in the conversation? This is, by the way, one of the differences between being non-racist and being mm -hmm. anti-racist. Your willingness to put yourself on the line and run the risk of being uncomfortable and and having the difficult conversation. Yeah, so this is really interesting to hear you say this because I have this practice and that practice is if a black woman and a white woman are arguing over something, I'm not going to step in because I don't want to come across as though I'm like explaining what you're saying, you know? Like so I actually tend mm-hmm. to like because I think it's a show of respect. You know, it's like like if if you're having a conversation with somebody and you're handling it, what am I going to add to it? So it's really interesting to hear you say that because you're saying that you think people should get more involved in those. I, okay. Absolutely. And I think it's a fine line. And I think that it's a matter of using yeah. your best judgment, which we get better with our judgment the more that we are educating and committing to learning different strategies and ways of being in this mm-hmm. work, right? So absolutely. there. I think there, there are times when you allow a person of color to go back and forth as as much as that person of color is feeling comfortable yeah. going back and forth i think there's a there's a there's a way you can tell just i think just being intuitive and just being mm-hmm. mindful right but i also absolutely feel and i appreciate when a white person will come on and address a white person in support of and um not to explain what mm-hmm. i'm saying but to perhaps validate what i'm saying and to perhaps explain that hey white person, I used to feel the way that you did. And now here is what I learned as a result of listening to black Mm. people. I'll I'll be honest, Jen, I don't know if this is the right way, right? I am sure that if I just, as I continue in my learning and following all of the high profile anti-racism people that I follow, this, this might be outlined somewhere as far as how to do it and the Mm. right and the wrong. And I look forward to even kind of getting more clarity for myself and maybe even kind of creating a practice that I have. But I know that, for example, the most recent Red Table Talk um, that came out was about interracial <laughs> yes, adoption, yes. Uh-huh. right? Um, one of my Satya Yoga trips, another part of what I offer to my Satya Yoga trips participants is a private Facebook group where we are continually interacting and I'm continually sharing oh. information with them. So it's, oh. yeah. So they get this resource and they have kind of a level of access to me before and after the trip, because again, I want them to, you know, use me as a tool to learn. Right. So I posted that red table talk. One of my participants said, I feel as a white woman that I shouldn't be having conversations about racism because I'm I'm a privileged Mm -hmm. white woman. And I explained that it is necessary for privileged white people to have these conversations about racism with other Mm -hmm. white people because so many white people are not hearing it from us and won't hear it from us the same way that they're going to hear it from you. And here's why. Black people have been talking about racism forever. And white people seem to think that just now, because they have discovered racism, all of a sudden it's this thing where we've been talking about it. 
Oh, yeah. You know? oh, yeah. Um, so it's a matter of I'm going to talk about it as mm-hmm. a black woman, but I need you to also talk about it. I need it to not be just because if black people were the only ones talking about it, then it stays a black exactly. people problem and right. racism stays in only affecting the black community. And that's so, not the case. If it affects all of us, we should yeah, all be talking about Yeah. And this is so it. interesting because again, it, it takes me back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, there's like the certain level of knowledge where you can be almost a little dangerous because you insert yourself into spaces and, and you don't necessarily know how to stay in your lane or even know about that concept. And, and one of the things for me that was so helpful is I went to a Get Your People event. And I don't know if I told you this story when we talked on the phone before. Did I tell you about it? How I got started? Yeah. So so my anti-racism journey was myself working on deconstructing within, learning, processing, learning about my neighbors around me and my friendships and things because I moved into a predominantly black city about four years ago five years ago, maybe. And and so I was getting more and more involved in anti-racism work. And I didn't even necessarily know that terminology then. But one of my friends said, hey, there's an event coming up. I know you're really interested in this. I know you're passionate about this. This is where it's at. So I show up to this event and it's called Get Your People, which I didn't even understand at the time. I, I don't even know if I looked at the title of it. I just knew there was an anti-racism event being held downtown and I was all for it. So I show up and I walk in there and I met by a sea of white people. And I was immediately like, what in the fresh hell is this? <laughs> Why am I surrounded by white people at an anti-racism event? And I got all judgy in my head. You know, I'm like, great. I'm surrounded by the NPR listeners of the neighborhood. We're all driving Subarus, you know, and and I'm going to listen to a bunch of white people talk about anti-racism. This is ridiculous, right? So little did I know at the time. So the event was held by the Detroit Equity Lab and they have a white caucus and a black caucus and the black caucus had gone to the white caucus and said get your people and so they held this event and there were four panelists discussing this work two panelists of color two white people and i soon began to learn that even my good intentions and my my good intention was i want to hear from people of color about this because this is not something that white people need to be leading right so on on one hand i was correct in my thinking, but my application was off. And it was so interesting because after that, like they said, you need to get involved in this. We want to see people move from ally to co-conspirator. And this is what it looks like. And y'all need to go get your people. And I was like, okay. And I mean, for me, that is what I needed. I was tiptoeing around everything up until that point. And I, I felt like I was tiptoeing because I wanted to be careful and I had good intentions to some degree that. Um, and maybe I was a little fearful, but by and large, when, when I was given permission, it was like that night I set up a dinner party and everything else is history. I, you know, it's like I had permission Mm. and I took that and I went. And so I almost wonder if this woman was kind of, do you think she was talking about that at all where she didn't necessarily feel like she could or, or didn't understand how she could step into that space of becoming a co-conspirator. Yes. Yes. And I appreciate 
you sharing that story with me because that's a new term for me, co-conspirator. I have not heard that before. Moving from ally to Mm -hmm. co-conspirator. So I I love that. But absolutely, she is coming from a space of she felt like it's her job as a white woman to learn, but leave it to the black people to really explain. And I think think that we have to be careful when we're talking about racism. It's white people are not experts at racism. So once white people understand this is not something that you are going to be the Mm -hmm. expert at. So then how can you be a part of the conversation, learn as much as you can about racism, go out and infiltrate, go out and tear down, go out and destroy, go out and dismantle. And using your voice Mm -hmm. is a part of that. And I, I just don't think that, and, and especially when white people come into this space of anti-racism, you're right. There's so much terminology and there's so much mm-hmm. language that is not, that people don't know about, which this is again, why this is work and why people need to be, you know, need to educate themselves. For me, I, I think everyone who is committed to doing anti-racism work, there should be 10 people that we can list off the top of our head, 10 anti-racism leaders, influencers, advocates, authors that are black yes. that we are following and that we're, you know, that yes. we're, that's important. And if there aren't 10, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Go, go, go figure out how to get 10. And, you know, that's an obscure number. It doesn't matter the number, but the the point is this is not work that we do alone. Yes, it's personal and yes, it's individual. And we have to do our own deep diving inside of ourselves to uproot our internalized um, racism Mm -hmm. and oppression, right? That's absolutely what has to happen. But this is something that there is, it's so important and so critical to educate ourselves about anti-racism work so that we can start to change the conversation about racism that we're having in our nation because the conversation that we're having is based on an outdated trash definition Amen. of racism. Racism has nothing to do with how you feel. Racism is, is not something that you can opt into and out of, right? The majority of people consider themselves non-racist. Mm-hmm. So I'm not racist. And, and that's what everyone loves to throw up. And that's their, that's their flag that they wave proudly as though that absolves them from being in the conversation. And it does. It just identifies you as a person who is non-racist, which that truly, honestly, is simply covert Mm -hmm. racism. That is simply you being silent. And that is in your silence, you're being complicit. So the concept of anti-racism and what is required to be involved in this movement is the method of which you take mm-hmm. action and the commitment that we make to this daily journey of educating ourselves and disrupting racism to tear it down in every conversation, interaction, and engagement that we have with anybody, right? with anybody. Well, this has been such an awesome conversation. There's so much, even though I, I don't practice yoga other than you know, maybe occasionally watching a DVD of it or let me age my age myself there. <laughs> um, and I haven't been on the same journey as you. I relate to so much of your journey and, and just how you talk about how you were placed in this and you feel like things have just been put in your pathway and doors have been opened. And, you know, I just, I think that's amazing. Um, your story is very inspirational and I really appreciate having the conversation well, you. with you and, and doing this work in anti-racism here. Well, thank you. And I, my intention is that 
coming up as my work continues to grow and evolve. The yoga piece uh, is is going to kind of be a little bit more in the background so that people won't have a hesitation to participate because they don't have that, that yoga experience um, or practice. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. That's one of the big things I've learned. One of the big things that I've learned in this doing, just doing the Mm -hmm. Satya yoga trips. And by the way, I don't know that I mentioned the word Satya is Sanskrit for Mm. truth. And so that's something else that I am am realizing just again, in, in when I created these trips, making the assumption that the people that would participate were people who were already taking my yoga classes and people who were following me and my students. And that's not who it's been. It's been people who don't have any knowledge of yoga. So they don't, you know, Satya, what is that? It's just a weird word. No idea. Yeah, that it means truth. And so that's how my work is already changing in that the people that are interested in doing work with me um, in this particular way, as far as going to the lynching memorial, yoga isn't a part of that. And of course, I, I guide them through and everybody um, is able to uh, do the type of yoga that I do. But even in me saying the type of yoga, just coming mm-hmm. to stillness and right. breathing, breathing, asana, that is as a part of, of yoga. If you do nothing else but breathe intentionally and focus on, on mindful breath, mm-hmm. that's yoga. So I, I'm definitely moving towards changing um, some of the terminology so that it's more accessible wow. for everyone. And, and, and the yoga piece okay. is kind of barrier. That is really interesting because I wouldn't think of it as a barrier, but when you mention it, Yeah, like I might feel because I'm not part of that community, I might feel like that is a barrier to entry because I can barely touch my toes, you know, and yet I would love to attend something like this. So then what does the future hold for you with these trips? You've got two more trips left this year. I would love for you to tell people how to find you, where to go, what next year might look like. And if people are interested in joining these trips, just what could they expect? in the future. Absolutely. So since what's going to happen in the future is under construction mm-hmm. right now, what I'll say is I encourage people to email me to get onto my mailing list so that you can stay up to date with the different trips and events and workshops and webinars that I'll be offering. And email me at Tina at satyayogatrips.com. And Satya is spelled S-A-T-Y-A. I do expect that in the future, the name is going to change. Um, so that's why I'm saying for now, send me that email. That way I'll have your information. I'll be able to reach out to you and you'll be able to um, keep up with what changes. But what you can also do is follow me on Instagram, either on the Satya Yoga Trips page or over on my fitness profile, which is Group Fitness Life. And both of those places, I will keep updated with any changes as well as with the different things that I'll be offering. Um, the next Satya Yoga trip that I'm offering is October 11th through 13th. And there are, I believe, four spaces available still for that. Um, I do keep it small. It's very intimate. But um, if anyone's interested in that, they can email me and I'm happy to send over all of the information about how to register um, and then all of the um, pre-work that we kind of discussed a little bit 
um, and then just start to get you plugged into preparing for that trip. And then in terms of next year, I'm still working on that. That is in, we're kind of in construction about what that's going to look like as the work continues to grow mm -hmm. and evolve based on the responses that I've gotten and the participation okay. that I'm getting. But I definitely see yoga being more of a uh, component, but not as forefront as it is now, as in, for example, okay. in the name. So well, awesome. And then next year, when you rebuild, you can come on again and tell us what you're up to at that point. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for coming to. on the show. Thanks for having All me, right. Jen. It's Thank been you. great.